This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A dune buggy on Pluto? Maybe one day. Until then, building robots to do the heavy lifting in space. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Philip Metzger planetary scientist at the Florida Space Institute of the University of Central Florida and co-founder of the Kennedy Space Center Swampworks. Welcome, Dr. Metzger. Glad to be here. Give us a quick summary of your work with NASA and planetary exploration. Okay, so I, I work on technologies that interact with the regolith of other planetary bodies. And I've done a little bit of work for Martian technologies and for asteroid technologies. Um, mostly, though, I think I've been doing technologies that work with the lunar regolith. You're a proponent of using robots to do much of the advanced grunt work of exploration in space. On the missions with which you're most familiar, what are the most important tasks that robots will perform? Oh, that's a great question. So if we want to do more in space, if we want to go farther and, and advance science and advance human activity beyond the planet, we need to learn to utilize the resources beyond planet Earth. We can't just take everything with us all the time. And so that involves construction, but it also involves making rocket fuel and breathing air and drinking water. Um, the commodities, the consumable commodities, that's the low-hanging fruit. So we would, um, we would want to use the, the lunar or Martian regolith as a construction material to build landing pads so that we can safely land much larger rockets. We want to build uh, radiation shields over the habitats so that you can stop the galactic cosmic radiation and also protect the habitats from meteoroid impacts. And um, then we want to extract water, water ice, so that we can electrolyze it to make rocket fuel. So those are the, the main areas. What mission would you most like to undertake if only you had the right robot? Oh my goodness, that's a really challenging question. I mean, it's an open-ended question, so I'm just going to think big. I'm going to say I would love to have robots driving around on Pluto because Pluto is so fascinating. Um, and I would love to have robots that, that can do treks across the ice. So um, ice trekking robots that can get down into crevasses and maybe even on Europa, you know, the, the icy surface of Europa, getting down into the crevasses of the, of the ice and trying to study the subsurface ocean. Uh, to see if there's life on Europa or even in, in the subsurface ocean that we think exists on Pluto. No one would ever question that you don't dream big, Philip. <laughs> Are we building space robots with off-the-shelf components or is there still a lot of R&D required for each robot type? Um, yes and yes. Uh, we do use a lot of off-the-shelf components. You know, something changed a lot during my career when I was still at NASA. Um, when I started in the mid-1980s, 
everything was about spinoffs. NASA develops technologies and then we spin it off to the private sector. But by the time I had left NASA in 2014, the paradigm had changed and it was mostly about spin-ins. The, the, the engine of technology development in the private sector has grown to be so gigantic that it actually makes more sense to find commercial applications and adapt them to space use. Um, the, the, uh, it's a tremendous economic advantage for the space program because we don't have to develop everything from scratch. Everything starts at a higher level of technological maturity. And so we can do more for the money and therefore we can do more in space. How important is self-replication and in-situ refueling? Um, so uh, self-replication, that's a, that's a big topic and that's thinking pretty far out there. Um, uh, most people don't think that far out, but now I'm saying far out there, but in reality, I think we're only talking a few decades because the rate that technology is changing keeps increasing, you know, and it's an exponential growth of technology. So I think, I think that we're just decades away from being able to have self-replicating factories on the moon. I, I think we could do this within four decades. And so we could revolutionize the nature of civilization within this century, I think. Um, but you asked about, uh, I'm sorry, what exactly was your question about self-replication or other technologies? Right. Uh, how important is self-replication and institute yeah. review? Okay, so yeah, so the thing is, um, Right now, if you look at our civilization, you look at all the amazing things that we can do, including solving diseases, like, like trying to find cures for cancer. Um, these things are only possible because of the magnitude of the supply chain that we have. You couldn't possibly build the, the equipment that we use for medicine unless you've got this extremely diverse supply chain, making lots of different types of materials, lots of types of machinery. Um, you know, it's like this um, iceberg of technologies and at the pinnacle of this iceberg are the most advanced technologies. But there's, there's actually a limit to what you can do as long as you stay restricted to a planet. If you wanna do cooler, more amazing things, you're gonna need a bigger and more diversified and more advanced supply chain. And we're, we're already hurting our planet because of the size of our industrial footprint. So if you wanna have a more robust, more amazing civilization and do things that we currently can't even imagine, we have to get outside the limits of this planetary scale. And, um, but we, we can do it. We really can do this because the technologies have reached the point that we can start adapting the robotics and the manufacturing technologies to utilize resources outside of the planet. And over the next few decades, we can start to advance the, the autonomy so that we can leverage human labor um, far more than we do today. You know, here in the United States, we, um, we spend about 1,600 times more energy doing productive things um, using machinery than what we could possibly do using humans. So we've leveraged ourselves a factor of 1,600 times. The global average is a factor of 300. So if we wanna leverage ourselves more, let's say, let's say that the goal is that we wanna have a, a supply chain outside the earth that leverages human capabilities by a factor of a million 
then we have to have more autonomy. We can't have one human overseeing a million robots unless we can put more autonomy into those robots. But we're going that direction. Right now, the, the advances are projected to get us there within a few decades. So I think we're gonna have an amazing civilization in our future. Um, we just need to get over the startup challenges finding ways to fund the tech development, finding ways to start doing this work in space. NASA's Voyager missions of the 1970s were the first to pierce the heliosphere beyond the orbit of Pluto. What do you think of sending robots to interstellar space in hopes of introducing humans to the rest of the galaxy? Well, um, that's a very complicated question because what, for one thing, we don't know if there's any other life beyond planet Earth. Um, we don't know if there's any advanced life. Is like we might wonder, is there anybody out there watching us? Um, you know, here if we if we had an industry outside the planet, we could build a giant phased array telescope, which is in orbit around the sun. So the diameter of this effective telescope would be two astronomical units, you know, the, the diameter of Earth's orbit. If we did that, we could see a car driving on an exoplanet 100 light years away, according to um, um, uh, colleagues at the SETI Institute. I think it was Seth Shostak who said that. Um, so if that's possible, then any advanced civilization that's just a couple hundred years ahead of us is already doing that. And so any civilizations within 100 light years, they're watching us, you know, and they're, they're looking at what Earth was like 100 years ago because the speed of light delay. And so if there's any civilizations within 100 years, they can see us industrializing. So, but, but are there any out there? Are there any civilizations watching us? Is there anybody to go out there and meet? So I generally take a, um, a minimum assumption approach. If I assume that there's nothing out there that we're gonna meet as we go out, there may not be any habitable planets, there may not be anything that we can just go up and introduce ourselves to, um, what would the approach be in that case? I think that the approach would be that we're gonna build ships with robotics that we can send to another star. They will arrive at that, that other star and they will set up industry in the local asteroid belt. They will use those resources to begin terraforming planets. And that way, when the humans come later, there will be planets that we can arrive at and live on. Um, we could send DNA banks. They could start to introduce a biosphere and have the entire planet habitable by the time we arrive. So I think that's a really cool long-term vision, something that we could aim towards. So for those private sector business leaders, entrepreneurs and investors in the audience, where are the opportunities to contribute to robot development? What technologies, materials, software challenges, if solved quickly, might offer new capabilities, lower costs or higher reliability? Um, great question. So I think the, um, the challenge, the, the, the main challenge is simply adapting Earth's manufacturing processes to the realities of a different planet. Um, so it means lower gravity, it means on the moon, it means vacuum, 
instead of a, an atmosphere. It means um, we're, we don't have the benefit of a thousand years of prospecting that we like we have on the earth. And so we're probably gonna wanna use whatever minerals are lying right there at your feet rather than trying to scour the whole globe of the moon for the best uh, mining locations. And so it means adapting to lower grade resources um, fortunately, these, uh, these technologies are dual use because they're also beneficial for, for use on Earth in order to make our footprint on the Earth more sustainable. As we want to start to recycle resources, we're talking about recycling things. It's currently not economically viable to recycle a landfill. And the reason it's not is because that's a mixture of so many materials that it's considered a low grade resource. But if we're talking about developing technologies to, to mine and to take that apart and to put the elements back together into higher grade materials, that's the same thing we need to mine the landfill. Right, And so um, these technologies that we want to develop for space can also be used to, to make it more sustainable to live on the Earth. Um, energy technologies, uh, methods of getting solar energy and um, using it more efficiently, um, beaming energy down from space. You could beam energy down on Mars, just like you could beam energy down on the Earth. And so, um, so fortunately, because there's a dual use, I think there's a, going to be an increasingly um, compelling economic case for developing these technologies. Um, and um, so I'm hoping that we're going to see a lot of private investment over the coming decades that'll not only help the earth, but it'll help us to get beyond the earth. Dr. Philip Metzger, planetary scientist at the Florida Space Institute of the University of Central Florida and co-founder of the Kennedy Space Center, Swampworks. If somebody wants to connect with you, Philip, What's the best way they can do that? You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Phil Till. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And you can find more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify or at TanyaHall.net. Thanks for watching.